welcome to Supernatural Podcast episode number 57 for the season 4 premiere, Lazarus Rising. The episode was written by Eric Kripke and directed by Kim Manners. The episode originally aired in the U.S. on September 18, 2008. Let's move on to the synopsis with Kristen and Annie. Summary for season 4, episode 1, Lazarus Rising. Dean wakes up in a coffin. He sees red flashes, presumably of hell, and hears screaming. He clicks on a ladder and tries to yell for help. His voice is hoarse. Whether from disuse or from four months screaming in hell, we do not know. Dean claws his way out of the dirt, only to find that his grave is set in the middle of a desecrated forest. Whatever got him out of hell made a big impact. Then Dean finds a rundown gas station. He breaks inside and grabs water first. He finds a newspaper, and the date reads September 18th, 2008. He realizes he's been gone for a while. He flashes back to when he was ripped apart by the hellhounds, so he lifts up his shirt to see if marks are still there. Nothing. But he does find there are handprint-shaped scars on his shoulders. When Dean's in the process of robbing the place, some candy, some cash, a busty Asian beauties magazine, of course, the TV flicks on. He turns it off, but then the radio turns on, and the TV turns back on. A piercing sound fills the room as it comes to a crescendo. The windows of the gas station break. Dean calls Bobby from a payphone nearby. Bobby doesn't believe it's really Dean, and rightly so. The guy has been dead for four months. So Dean hotwires an abandoned car, of course, and drives to Bobby's. He shows up, and Bobby still can't believe it. He comes at him with a knife. Dean tries to prove that it's really him by saying, Your name is Robert Stephen Singer. You became a hunter after your wife became possessed. You're about the closest thing I have to a father. Bobby stops and puts his hand on Dean's shoulder, only to come at him again. Dean rustles the knife away and proves that it is indeed him by cutting his arm just above the elbow with a silver knife. Now convinced that Dean is Dean, Bobby embraces him in a big hug. It's been a long four months. Bobby agrees that the way Dean came back is pretty unbelievable, let alone that he got to come back to his original body. Bobby says that Sam wouldn't let them salt and burn Dean's body because he'd need a body when he brought him back. Dean's immediately skeptical and thinks maybe Sam made a deal to raise him from the dead. By tracking Sam's cell phone, Dean and Bobby show up at Sam's hotel room in Pontiac, Illinois, right near Dean's gravesite. Sam and Dean's reunion starts off tentative. Sam comes at Dean with a knife, just as Bobby did. But Bobby convinces him he's already done the necessary checks. Then we have the first mutual hug ever from Sam and Dean. But Dean immediately gets down to business. He asks Sam how much it costs to bring him back. Sam says he didn't do it, but Dean thinks he's lying to him. Sam says he tried everything. He tried opening the Devil's Gate. He tried to bargain, but no demon would deal. He says, you were rotting in hell for months, and I couldn't stop it. Dean, I'm sorry. If Sam didn't pull Dean out, then what did? Sam says he was in Pontiac, Illinois, hunting down Lilith. Bobby says, all by yourself? Who do you think you are, your old man? Dean thinks a badass demon dragged him out of hell. Bobby says, no demon is going to drag you out of hell, out of the goodness of his heart. It's got to have something nasty planned. Bobby suggests visiting a psychic he knows nearby to get some answers. 
In the car, Sam explains why he's still alive after Dean died. He says he was immune to Lilith's demon power. Dean asks if Sam's using his ESP stuff now, and Sam flat out denies it. He says, You didn't want me to go down that road, so I didn't go down that road. Dean says, Well, let's keep it that way. Bobby and the boys arrive at Pamela the Psychic's house. She plans to do a seance where she gets a peek at whatever dragged Dean out of hell. During the seance, Pamela repeats, I evoke, conjure, and command you. Appear unto me before this circle. Dean opens one eye skeptically. The TV turns on, reminiscent of the gas station scene. The creature says his name is Castiel. When Pamela doesn't quit, her eyes glow white, and she screams. Her eyes have burned out of their sockets. After Bobby takes Pamela to the hospital, the boys get pie at a diner. All the people in the diner are possessed. The waitress tries to get Dean to tell her who pulled him out of hell, but not even Dean really knows. Dean realizes that she can't touch him, so he tells her that whoever brought him back wants him out, and they're a lot stronger than she is. When Sam and Dean are back in the hotel room, and Dean is napping, Sam sneaks out. The TV clicks on to static again, and Dean figures he knows what's coming. He readies his gun, but the piercing shriek begins to explode the glass in the room. The mirrors on the ceiling fall on Dean, but Bobby comes to the rescue. While safe in Bobby's car, Dean calls Sam. They both lie about their whereabouts. Sam says he's out getting a burger, and Dean says he and Bobby are going for a beer. Dean is going to summon whatever brought him out of hell. Bobby thinks it's a bad idea, but he's going along with it anyway. Sam is at the diner where the demons were. He notices a man on the floor and turns him over to find that his eyes are burned out of their sockets, just like Pamela's. The waitress demon attacks Sam, but she's lost her eyes too. Sam asks her what she saw, and she says, It's the end. We're dead. We're all dead. When Pamela refuses to tell Sam what she saw exactly, Sam closes his eyes and stretches his right arm out toward her. With his mind, he's performing an exorcism, and the possessed waitress is coughing up demon smoke. Awesome! Apparently, Sam wasn't completely truthful with Dean earlier. He does have some ESP powers. After the demon is exorcised and the girl is confirmed dead, Ruby walks out. She's possessing a new human, no longer the blonde Katie Cassidy from last season. She says no demon could pull Dean out of hell. That it's something much bigger than that. It's cosmic. Ruby asks if Sam's going to tell Dean about his new gifts. Sam says he just has to find the right time. He says, I don't even know if what I'm doing is right. All I know is that I'm saving people, and that feels good. Back with Bobby and Dean, the summoning ritual worked. They have traps graffitied on the floor for every creature they, that could walk through those doors. But what walks through the doors is not affected at all. A man in a trench coat walks through the chaos like it's nothing. Bobby and Dean shoot at him, but it has no effect. When the man comes close and Dean asks, Who are you? The man answers, I'm the one who gripped you tight and raised you from perdition. Then Dean sinks a silver knife into the man's heart, but it has no effect on him. The man puts Bobby to sleep and says, We need to talk, Dean. Alone. Dean asks again, Who are you? The man replies, I'm Castiel. Dean says, I mean, what are you? Castiel says, I'm an angel of the Lord. 
Dean says there's no such thing. Castiel says Dean's problem is that he has no faith. He shows Dean his black angel wings, but Dean still doesn't believe. He says, some angel you are, you burned out that poor woman's eyes. Castiel says his real form and voice can be overwhelming to humans. Castiel talking broke glass at the gas station and the hotel. And Dean asks, and why would an angel rescue me from hell? Castiel says, good things do happen, Dean. Dean says, not in my experience. Castiel says, what's the matter? You don't think you deserve to be saved. Dean asks, why'd you do it? Castiel says, because God commanded it. Because we have work for you. And then the episode ends, and it's a cliffhanger. Thanks for listening. I'm Kristen. And I'm Annie. Bye. Thanks for the great recap. Let's move along to analysis and theories and my discussion with Josh. Hi, I'm Ellen. I'm Josh. And this is our review of Lazarus Rising. Overall, what do you think? Um, overall, I thought that I was excited to have the show back, and I'm glad to have Dean back. And so, on that end, I really enjoyed the episode. It mostly felt like a setup to me for the rest of the season, which, of course, that's what season premieres often do. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of withholding judgment of my opinion until we get more into the new direction that it seems this show's taking. That's true. Yeah, I thought that it was great. I really liked it. I had a couple hesitations, but I thought it was a great episode. And I loved the new title card with the black wings and the letters Supernatural in red. Yeah, I like how they redo it every season. I think that's cool. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. It's not as flashy as we've seen in past seasons. And it reminds me of the opening credits of this summer's NBC series, Fear Itself. It was that anthology series. What did you like about it? I like the Dean starts off initially. Like, he's back. Like, that was really cool. I like that it was kind of a Dean-centric episode. Instead of seeing all the different points of view, it was kind of focused on Dean to kind of get his perspective. You're right. We mostly follow him through the whole episode and instead of taking each of the brothers' point of view that we like we usually do. Yeah. That was kind of different. I <laughs> thought it was really cool when the hand comes up through the grave. Oh, right. It was like one of the first things we see, right? And I'm like, oh, is it a dream? Is it a flashback? Because we saw the same thing in Sam's dream when Jessica died. Oh, yeah. Way back in Wendigo. Wow, I did not even make that connection. That always struck me because I thought, well, okay, that's kind of cool with the hand coming up. So I've always remembered that image. I guess it's the horror fan in me. I remember stuff like that. That's pretty scary to me, you know, being buried alive and the whole trauma that comes with that. I think it's a good thing that Sam buried him in a cheap pine box (laughs) instead of one of those really expensive coffins. Yeah, I can't imagine uh, some you know really fancy, elaborate coffin silk lining for Dean. That just seems all wrong. <laughs> a lot harder to break your way out of. That is true. Oh, well, I agree. I thought the beginning with uh, Dean busting out was good. And it was, it was very um, stark. You know, you, didn't, you weren't sure what was going on. There wasn't anybody else around. And, and the way that he, he claws himself out. Is, is very intense, you know, the, the idea that someone's facing life again after being dead for, you know, several months and busting out and not finding anyone around. It just, it was very eerie without being dark and, you know, spooky. Yeah, it was almost like an apocalypse had happened. You know, you saw the image, uh, you know, where they pan back and you saw 
the grave with like the trees that all felled around it. Right. And I'm right. like, what the heck happened? I wasn't even sure what was going on. Like I saw him, you know, he was trying to dig and I'm like, well, is he like in, in a trunk of a car or something? Like, where is he? It took me a moment to realize he was actually digging out of a grave. Then I felt a little <laughs> silly that I didn't catch it to begin with. <laughs> it's very, it, it reminded me a lot of Buffy season six and she has to do the same thing. Crawl, claw her way out of the grave after being resurrected. Ah, I see. Well, that would make more sense then. (laughs) (laughs) Nice reference. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I liked also liked, uh, you know, Dean and Bobby's reunion because Bobby reacted just like you should after seeing all the things that they've seen and all the possibilities of what Dean could have been besides Dean. And then the holy water at the end. He wasn't quite (laughs) sure yet if it was really him. (laughs) That was a nice touch. But it was so nice to hear Dean actually tell Bobby that he's like a father. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure, and Bobby deserves to hear that. And I liked how Bobby backed Dean up when they confronted Sam, because obviously the suspicion is going to be Sam did something to bring him back. And precisely. <laughs> instead of playing peacemaker, he was like, what did you do? Yeah. <laughs> And he was like, come on, it's him. We've already been through all this. <laughs> right. A lot of people had some gripes about that reunion, that it just wasn't, you know, as emotional as you'd expect. They're not exactly the touchy-feely type guys. Well, and on top of that, you have there's so much suspicion behind it. He came back from the grave, and one, you know, Sam's thinking maybe it's not really him, and two, Dean's thinking what is Sam doing to get me back? So even though they're happy to see each other, there's also that undercurrent of uneasiness, like what's really going on here? Yeah, well, that and the fact that four months have passed and they don't know what each other went through. And there's a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of tension because they're each hiding stuff from each other. Right. So it it all builds up. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, this isn't an 80s sitcom. This is... You know, has more dramatic effect to it. <laughs> right. Well, I, that's another thing I liked about it. I, I think Sam looks a whole lot more independent and obviously more powerful now in, in new ways. Yeah, he and, looks really mature, too, compared to how we've seen him. Like, I, I think it's just that Jared is growing into the role and he's maturing. He's looking a little bit different as he gets older. But he just seems much older as a character. He does. And and even though he and Dean have some good brotherly banter, you can tell that there's been like a shift in the relationship. Yep. And that he's probably going to have a problem with Dean, just letting Dean be in charge again. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. But you're totally right. Like those comments he made about the car. He was like, well, I thought it was my car. Like with the iPod, right. I loved how he installed the iPod. <laughs> and Dean was like, what did you do? He was like, well, it was my car. So he kind of automatically shifts back to having Dean kind of take that role. But at the same time, he's not comfortable with it, like you said. Right. You can tell there's a little bit of uneasiness there. And mm-hmm. he's, you know, if he's been living the rogue demon hunter life that we got a preview of when he thought Dean was dead back last season when Dean kept dying over and over again. Yeah. He got that taste of what life's going to be like without him. Then you can imagine he's had giant attitude shift. Oh, sure. I mean, definitely. And I, th- I thought it was great how he made a point of giving back the amulet immediately. Oh, yeah. He was like, here, this is yours. That's right. That kind of helps keep that connection there, too. I caught something that, um, uh, you know, I wasn't the only one to catch it. 
but I noticed that the voice sounded familiar to me on the iPod, you know, that little bit of a song that we caught when they first got in the car. That song, I had to find out. I looked everywhere. Finally, somebody had posted it. That song was by Jason Manns. Now, some of you are going to have some bells go off in your head. Jason Manns is a very good friend of, of Jensen. He goes to all the conventions he actually released a song where they were, um, it's a cover of the Van Morrison song, um, Crazy Love, and Jensen and, J- and Jason sang it. And then they sold it at one of the Supernatural cons last year, I think the LA con. She gave my love, 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 crazy love. She gave my love, 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 crazy love. But they're really good friends. And that song playing on the iPod is actually a Jason Mann song. <laughs> so I thought the irony on that was um, Dean was like, what are you listening to? And here it is in real life. It's his good friend. That's funny. And he's making fun of it. Exactly. I don't think many people would have caught that. So I wanted to make a point. <laughs> I certainly didn't. <laughs> I like Jason Mann's. He actually, I missed his concert. He had, um, before he left for his European tour, I really like his music. He's a folk rock kind of guy. And has a great MySpace page, but... That is neat. So, Ruby's back. What do you think about that? Oh! How did I forget about that? She's not Ruby, though. She's not my Ruby. <laughs> she's fake Ruby. Right. <laughs> I love that she's back. And I, I thought it was really funny how um, Sam, you know, when they open the door and they see her, like, half-naked. And you automatically right. assume that, oh, well, he took Dean's role. He's like, you know shacking up with all the girls and then later on you find out it's actually ruby and this new girl i don't know right. about the new girl but i'm just glad ruby's back yeah it's hard to it's hard to judge how it's going to go with the new actress in that role yeah and if she's going to be as in, you know much a part of this season's plot line as she was last time so ruby's back is on my like but we'll talk about the new girl later because i have some theories on that and that's definitely in my do not like <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of demons, I like the part where Dean slaps the demon girl around. Ah, that was great. (laughs) Talk about taking a risk. I mean, the guy just came back from hell. He's feeling probably a little invincible. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I I didn't think about that, but if he can come back from that unscathed, he probably isn't that concerned about his well-being as he might have been in the past. Yeah, especially since he has no knowledge of really what happened. Right. He's just like, ah, whatever. Hell, okay. Whatever. <laughs> That's true. Well, should we talk about our big revelation and who saved Dean? Um, well, on the one hand, I think it's awfully convenient that an angel wants to bring Dean back from the dead. I mean, it's an easy way to get him back on the show. But on the other hand, I think that it's about time that they introduced a supernatural force that wasn't evil. That's true. I mean, the demons are pretty active on the Earth in the supernatural world, so why wouldn't there be some kind of force for good that is active as You know, well? I should have known this was coming. We all should have known this was coming. <laughs> Look back at our Houses of the Holy back in second season, when Sam was like, what do you mean you don't have any faith? And they had that conversation, and Dean just didn't have right. any faith. And I knew that that was going to come up again at some point, and then it did in third season. They briefly mentioned it again, where... Dean was talking about how he didn't have any faith and and what all, but I never really thought it would come up this way. I don't know why. Yeah, that's true. It's something we should have seen coming, now that you mention it. 
because they have to address it mm-hmm. eventually. Which I thought was actually a good thing about the show was they really kept religion out of it. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I kind of share my beliefs with Dean in a lot of ways. So when they start going towards the religion talk, I kind of cringe away from it. <laughs> <laughs> Even when they talk about hell and all that stuff. Uh, well, you know, for some reason, the evil stuff doesn't bother me quite as much. I guess because <laughs> I'm such a horror <laughs> fan that, you know, that's such a staple. I've just gotten used to it. But when you start talking about goodness and angels and stuff, that to me, that's like kind of scary show touched by an angel back from the 90s, you know, and Highway to Heaven oh, and all those like ridiculous. super cheesy religious <laughs> shows. It's just, I have kind of nightmares about that. <laughs> I think that's what I liked about this so much is the fact that they made the angel very fierce and scary instead of that, you know, lovable cherub or like the glowy, you know, Della Reese angel. Yeah. <laughs> it's... It's something that's powerful and, you know, scary. And if you read about appearances of angels in the Bible, you'll notice that the usual reaction that everybody has at first is fear. That's true. When I was doing research on Azazel, I came across a lot of that, where they were talking about fallen angels and and how they're, you know, the original incarnations of angels were. And if you ever read the Anne Rice book, um, Memnock the Devil, in the... um, the Vampire Chronicles, you have Lestat, and, and he has a lot of religious issues in him. You know, he just has, he questions, actually, he's a lot like Dean. He questions all of that because Lestat doesn't believe. So Memnock, the whole time, is trying to explain to him. He takes him to heaven, all sorts of weird stuff. And I read that book going, you know, I'm not really into this kind of thing, but the book was really well written. And there was a long discussion uh. on angels and how they are fierce and they're not nice and their history is just not nice. <laughs> They're not Disney by any stretch of the imagination. And so right. you're right. I think that's what they're trying to get across on this one. And maybe if they go that direction, I won't cringe quite so much. After my little long discussion <laughs> there, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> the point is, <laughs> I won't cringe. That's true. I mean, it's they're more summoned to destroy armies and do really powerful things. And I think you're right. They should leave the glowy... Touch by an angel stuff to, you know, Mary's ghost and stuff like that. But, you know, also the scariness kind of helps add to the ambiguity about the angel himself. You know, is he really a force for good? We don't know for sure yet. You know, if Yellow Eyes was all obsessed with Sam, why can't somebody be obsessed with Dean? It's interesting. You know, I looked at the name mm-hmm. of the angel, and apparently in some, some beliefs, that's the name of the angel of Thursday. That is, exactly. I kept coming across that. I'm like, oh, how funny is that? And one of our writers, Greg, he he wrote a a big article on angels that we're going to put in this podcast. And he goes through a lot of that kind of stuff. But that was something he emailed me about. He's like, did you know it's the angel of Thursday? They do their research on this show. I'll give them that. So yeah, I, I mean, I like how they showed him, you know, where he couldn't appear in his true form because he was blinding people and... He thought Dean could hear him in his true form, but really what he was doing was terrorizing him and breaking glass. <laughs> right. And then he shows up in this man right. form who really did look like a tax man. Dean was right about that. But then he showed that his wings. I was like, oh, that's a cool effect. Yeah, that was really neat. But I thought there was really good timing in this episode. And they gave us a lot of stuff that we are comfortable with. And they gave us a lot of new stuff. But it wasn't rushed. Some of these episodes we've had, especially in season three, 
felt like we were on fast forward. This one just didn't for some reason. It really didn't. It felt, I won't say slow, but it definitely did not feel rushed. Especially for an opener where they have given us a lot of big questions to ponder. How about the do not like? Shall we start with Sam's half-naked girl? (laughs) Why not? Okay, so Ruby. They could really be doing three different things with her. One is just Katie Cassidy was too expensive and they couldn't bring her back. But there are really two other theories. Was that Katie's body was dead, or, well, Ruby's body. Her human host body was dead by the time she got back to it. So she had to find a new body. But the other convenient way of having a new girl around is that she can hide from Dean because he does not recognize her. So there are really a couple of different ways they could go with that. I think that I, I got the impression that her body was dead that after Lilith left yeah. it, Sam checked and she was dead. And that, But you're right, it's awfully convenient because now they, Dean doesn't have to know that it's her because we all know how he feels about her. Yeah, and they go in and she's half naked, and you're like, oh, acting like Dean much, are you? Right. Which, you know, that leads a little bit into my one of my questions. It's like, are they hooking up? And isn't that kind of gross? Isn't that kind of like the mentor sleeping with, the, or the teacher sleeping with the student? Yeah, and plus, she's like using some random girl's body, and this girl, <laughs> I don't know, it's, it just goes to some very icky moral questions about... Yeah. And, you know, when the demons are possessing, the human inside is aware for some of it. If she comes to and she's like making out with this guy she doesn't know. Right. That's going to be some scarring if she does manage to keep her body alive (laughs) when Ruby leaves it. Exactly. It's just, I hope it's not going on. (laughs) That's a really dark place. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Even for this show. That's a little dark. (laughs) (laughs) it was kind of like we the first time we saw jessica though or well the first time dean saw jessica she was in that little smurf shirt and her underwear oh right so it's kind of another reference (laughs) there but that's right coming to the door and Mm -hmm. uh yeah and then that actress which i don't know her name but she's on wildfire it's a abc family series I'm going to wait to judge her, but she seemed off. My first impression is she's a little too cutesy, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've seen quite a few clips of her on from Wildfire and commercials. And so I kind of have a little bias against her because <laughs> I don't, it's probably just the way the commercials were showing. Give us somebody good. Everybody whined about Katie Cassidy, how she didn't have any facial expressions and she didn't really act. She just kind of ran, ran her lines But I thought she at least had some personality. Like, she was kind of this cocky girl who thought she could do whatever she wanted and kind of took over. This new girl is either going to have to mimic that to make it, you know, seem believable or something. Like, she's going to have to say her lines the same way or something because otherwise you're not going to be able to connect the two if she does stay long-term Ruby and she's just not, like, body of the week. That's true because she definitely... Old Ruby had a fierceness to her and a, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a determination that this girl is going to have to demonstrate if we're going to supposed to believe that it's really the same demon in a different body. So I think a lot of people are freaked out about that. They're like, what? Why would they do that? But I believe in Kripke. He picked her for a reason. We have to put <laughs> our faith in him. The idea can work, you know, it just yeah. has to be executed well but you know that leads kind of into my big gripe uh this new ruby is telling sam 
to not lie to Dean. And that doesn't sound like Ruby. So if she's telling you not to be deceptive, then something is seriously wrong. Because I had a problem with Sam straight up lying to Dean about using his supernatural powers. They are pretty cool, though, I have to admit. They are. They are. And that's that's neat. And I can see him hedging it, you know, or not answering him straight. But he, like, flat out denied it and said, oh, yeah, it was your dying wish. And, and made a big deal about not doing it. But in all the reality, he really was. And I think that's just going to make things harder for when Dean finally does find out about it. Well, you'd think they would have learned that from season two. Learned right. the lessons, people. I mean, it was just the other way around where Dean was the one hiding everything from Sam. But look how well that worked out for them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not so well. We had emo Sam all season. I, I just, that just bothered me. I, I think they're going to have enough mistrust and suspicion about each other and, and shifting roles without having to drive this wedge in between them two. You know, I'm hoping it's just temporary. I mean, he was in shock after all of his brother coming back. <laughs> right. I mean, I can't imagine that'd be easy to deal with, even in what they're used to in the world that they live in. Just randomly have your brother show up when you've done everything you possibly can to save him. Yeah, and that's the other thing. He he obviously went against his wishes and tried to make deals with demons and all that stuff, so why not let him know you went against his wishes on that, too? It does make me wonder if maybe Sam did have a role in it. If it does turn out to be an angel-god thing, Sam was the one who had the belief. He was the one who was praying for Dean and, and for their lives to get better. Right. Maybe his prayers were answered. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Maybe he really did have something to do with it. And he's just surprised that it did work out because he didn't have to make a deal or sell himself or right. do anything horrible. <laughs> right. I, I, I thought the other thing that I didn't like that was kind of out of character was Dean not wanting to go and kill those demons with Sam. It didn't seem like Dean to pass up that kind of opportunity. Maybe he just doesn't want Sam to be tempted to use his powers. <laughs> he's like if i keep him away from that i have bobby with me we'll be okay let's just not involve him <laughs> i don't know it 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 seemed like you know dean is always gung-ho getting rid of the demons sure that would take you know short period of time then they can move on to finding whatever mm -hmm. pulled dean out of hell but he seems so bent on just ignoring that and not only ignoring that but putting bobby in extreme amounts of danger to confront this thing which seemed out of character to me too because dean's the type of guy to put himself on the line but not others yeah i don't know there's something else going on there i thought it was weird <laughs> and you know okay. something that he did do that was in character was to grab the busty asian beauties magazine oh don't even get me started on that <laughs> i thought it was funny but Really? I mean, after clawing your way out of the ground, you're going to have that on your mind? You know, I thought the exact same thing. I, you know, I think you're right about that. It drove me crazy, too. And then, and I wasn't even going to bring it up. I'm like, okay, I just want to just erase it from my memory. But then I read an interview with Jensen that was on IGN.com. I'm actually going to talk about the article later on in the podcast, but I, there was a bit in there where he talked about this. The interviewer said, speaking of humor, I hear there's some involved in what Dean does when first returning from hell. And Jensen says, yeah, he finds a gas station and loads up with the essentials, you know, water, food, and porn magazines. Good old Dean. And the interviewer says, he still wants to get to the bottom of what happened to him, but first, and Jensen cuts him off, yeah, you know, a man's got to take care of himself. Okay. So I guess we can't bash it too much if Jensen liked it. 
<laughs> I guess not. <laughs> there are no words. I just can't believe. I mean, as a reference, they've brought up that magazine before a couple times right. in other episodes. But still, I mean, he's like dying of thirst. He guzzles some water and grabs a porn magazine. That's not exactly what I what order I'd pick. Well, and and it also like accentuates how little this whole experience changed him. And I know yes. there's, it's kind of hinted at that there, we're going to get something, you know, it, beneath all that, that his experience in hell is going to come back to haunt him. Mm-hmm. But with that action, it kind of said, oh, basically all that trauma that we just went through the last last season, or especially the last season finale, didn't really yeah. have that big an effect on his life. You know, a whole year he spent worrying about dying and trying to get out of it. Right. And then he comes back by some help of somebody we aren't quite sure of yet. But it's like he comes back so easy, and then he's just like, okay. Right. I'm going to go back to my life. Now, granted, you know, if he pulled a, a Buffy season six and moped about for the whole season, there would be a riot. <laughs> yes. So I'm glad they're not doing that, but it was just that little touch, little things like that, that made it seem like, well, maybe he got a little too easy. I'm a little torn on that one, but it just seems strange. <laughs> I mean, it's in character, but strange. Right. Another thing, you know, I just, I can't help but go back to that angel. I still can't believe Dean was saved by an angel. Whether, okay, he might be good, he might be bad, but he's an angel on a mission from God. I mean, okay, breathe, (laughs) calm. (laughs) It's just really cliche, and it just left a really bad taste in my mouth. But after our discussion, you know, we had a little while ago, I'm feeling better about it, but... Is certainly on my don't like list. <laughs> Until further notice. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally understand that. It's, it could go really, really wrong. Well, especially since Kripke promised us there would be no angels. He promised us we wouldn't see hell. And then he kind of cheated on that. And then he promised us no angels. His promises are worthless. <laughs> I know. He also promised we'd find out about Mary and about the amulet and why Dean's eyes bled. So I'm not sure he's actually truthful about anything these days. (laughs) It's a ploy. It's all just get us to watch. Right. He'll say anything. My big question that I got out of this episode is Sam is obviously exploring his dark side. He's hanging out with Ruby, who's a demon with possibly nefarious motives that we don't know about. Dean gets brought back by an angel. So are they setting up the brothers to become opposing forces? You know, to work on, and not that Sam's doing the work of the devil or anything like that. He's still on the side of the good. But is this, you know, the fact that Dean's the chosen one by angels and Sam's the chosen ones by demons is setting them up to clash in some sort of epic battle coming down the line or something? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, would the it does sh- make you wonder? Yeah, I, I don't know if the show would survive something like that because so much of it depends on their teamwork and their chemistry. You know, while you were describing it like that, for some reason, the image of Anakin Skywalker in uh, the third, well, I guess it's the sixth Star Wars movie. I mean, sixth to come out, right. but Star Wars Episode Three, you know, where he gets recruited. Right. Kind of made me think that. <laughs> we thought he was working for good, but ended up turning to the dark side. Right, so which one's which one's turning to the dark side? I don't want to think that about either of them. <laughs> as much as I love the dark side, that's just not where we want to go. That's not their mission. Their whole lives, it's been hunting evil, saving people. 
Right. They don't really want to break that canon, do they? <laughs> no, but through the whole thing, it's been kind of hinted at. Uh, oh, is Sam evil? Maybe? Yeah. So. Oh, boy. Guess we'll find out. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah someday, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be so sure about that, actually. Right. <laughs> it could be season 10 we'd finally get around to that one. Right. The big thing that stayed with me after this episode was Dean coming back so fast. Okay, I liked it. I liked that he came back right away. But I'm really surprised they didn't spread this out over a couple episodes at least. You know, where it would have taken him a while to find Sam and kind of spread this out and maybe have meet somebody along the way or whatever. But they really kind of threw that at us right away, which could be good because then they can just build on it and run from. And then they can give us flashbacks, which I, they've already started doing. But it just seemed kind of weird. It did. I was actually... I was surprised. I mean, he was back in the first five minutes. Yeah. I not expect that. Totally did not expect that. And it makes me wonder if it's all a trap for us. Right. <laughs> like, is there something going to happen that we don't expect? Well, honestly, I expected the big reveal of this episode to be that he was still in hell and that he was just imagining all this and that was part of his torture or thinking he got out, you know, and they show those little flashes of his eyes. I'm like, oh, he's still there. But yeah, <laughs> it didn't happen. That's good. <laughs> but. When I read the snippet that CW gives you about the episode, I usually try to avoid them, but I came across it by accident. And it said something about how Sam goes to a psychic. And I was like, oh, okay, he's going to go there to see if he can have like a seance to right. contact Dean in hell. And they're going to try to come up with a way to get him out. And then this happened. I'm like, okay, well, they still go to a, a fortune teller. But like, I loved the episode. But some of the things, some of the questions are really going to bug me. Like more than we've had other seasons bug me, I think. Wow. It seems like we always get more questions than we do answers. That is kind of the general premise of the entire show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One day we will know what's going on. <laughs> well, and then Kripke changes his mind along the way and abandons right. something. And then we never find out. <laughs> like the special kids. Oh, right. Did you have any favorite quotes? I did. Well, I already talked about the one where Dean told Bobby that he was like his, you know, a father to him. Right. But... The funnier side, the one where Bobby was talking about Sam, he said, how'd you know he'd use that name, Wedge and Tilly's? Dean's like, are you kidding me? What don't I know about that kid? (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was funny, too. But then you start wondering, well, there's a lot he doesn't know. (laughs) Exactly. That's why I I picked that for my favorite one, too, because it was a funny funny. funny moment, but also it kind of sets you up like, oh, he knows less than he thinks he knows. But it was kind of cool that he knew what that name was going to be. <laughs> yes. I guess my other quote that I had was where Dean was talking to our favorite angel. And he was like, who are you? Angel's like, I'm the one who gripped you tight and raised you from perdition. <laughs> Dean's like, uh, yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> and he's all, no problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're totally calm about all this stuff. Right. What a- Like, if I were Dean, I'd be like, What? <laughs> And the angel's like, yeah, okay, cool. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Why did he think Dean would be able to hear him? I should have put that in my questions. That's a good question. Is there something special about Dean beyond his ability to kill a lot of demons? Let's move on to legends and references. 
Obviously, the title, Lazarus Rising, has some connotation if you are Christian. St. Lazarus of Bethany, or Lazarus of the Four Days, was a believer in Jesus, whom Jesus raised from the dead, recorded in the Gospel of John. In allusion to John's account of the resurrection of Lazarus in the Bible, the name is often used to describe apparent restoration to life. In the scientific term, Lazarus taxon, which denotes the organisms that reappear in the fossil record after a period of apparent extinction. The Lazarus phenomenon refers to an event in which a person spontaneously returns to life, the heart starts beating again, after resuscitation has been given up. There are also numerous literary uses of the term. And Greg compiled an article for us on angels, courtesy of wikipedia.org, An angel is a spiritual supernatural being found in many religions. Although the name of angels and the tasks given to them vary from tradition to tradition, in Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, they often act as messengers from God. Other roles in religious traditions include acting as warrior or guard. The concept of a guardian angel is popular in Western culture. Angels are usually viewed as emanations of a supreme divine being sent to do the tasks of that being. Traditions vary as to whether angels have free will or are merely extensions of the supreme being's will. While the appearance of angels varies, many views of angels give them a human shape. The word angel in English is from the Old English and German Engel, French from Old French Angele, Spanish, and many other Romance languages are derived from the Latin Angelus. The ultimate etymology of that word in Greek is uncertain. So let's move to Judaic beliefs. The Bible, Oral Law, Midrash, and various mystical texts present angels as heavenly beings created by God who are not endowed with free will. They occasionally appear on earth in furtherance of God's will, often as messengers. They are frequently encountered in mystical texts, particularly those of the Merkabah tradition. Jewish angelology is far from symptomatic, and the purpose, nature, and personalities of individual angels and the heavenly host as a whole varies greatly across historical eras, texts, genres, and traditions. The Bible uses the terms messenger of God, messenger of the Lord, sons of God, the holy ones, to refer to beings traditionally interpreted as angels. Other terms are used in later texts such as the Upper Ones. Daniel is the first biblical figure to refer to individual angels by name. In post-biblical Judaism, certain angels came to take on particular significance and developed unique personalities and roles. Though these archangels are believed to have ranked amongst the heavenly host, no systematic hierarchy ever developed. Metatron is considered one of the highest of the angels of Merkaba and Kabbalist mysticism and often serves as a scribe. He is briefly mentioned in the Talmud and figures predominantly in mystical texts. Michael, who serves as a warrior and advocate for Israel, is looked upon particularly fondly. Gabriel is mentioned in the book of Daniel and briefly in the Talmud, as well as many Merkaba mystical texts. As far as Christian beliefs, early Christians took over Jewish ideas of angels, which had passed them on from an early stage where the idea of angels oscillated between that of a messenger of God and God himself to an identification and specific individual messengers, Raphael, Gabriel, Michael, and Uriel. Then, in the space of little more than two centuries, from the third to the fifth, the image of angels took on a definite characteristics both in theology and in art. 
by the late 4th century, there is a consistent teaching among the church fathers on the existence of different categories of angels in line with the missions and activities assigned to them. Development of the doctrine of the angels was related to the settlement of the Trinitarian disputes in which some proposed that Jesus was not divine, but on the level of immaterial beings subordinate to the Trinity. Wings. Accounts of angels in the Bible say nothing of wings, except for the seraphim, which have six or three pair, and the earliest known Christian image of an angel. In the catacomb of Priscilla, which is dated to the middle of the 3rd century, is without wings. Representations of angels on sarcophagi and on objects such as lamps and reliquaries of that period also show them without wings. The earliest known representation of angels with wings is on what is called the Prince's Sarcophagus, discovered near Istanbul in the 1930s and attributed to the time of Theodosius I. From the same period is a statement by St. Chrysostom explaining the significance of the wings. He said, They manifest a nature's sublimity. That is why Gabriel is represented with wings, not that angels have wings, but that you may know that they leave the heights and the most elevated dwelling to approach human nature. Accordingly, the wings attributed to these powers have no other meaning than to indicate the sublimity of their nature. From then on, though of course with some exceptions, Christian art represented angels with wings, as in the cycle of mosaics in the Basilica of St. Mary Major. That brings us to Zoroastrianism. In this tradition, there are different angel-like animals. For example, each person has one guardian angel called Fravashi. They patronize human beings and other creatures, and also manifest God's energy. The Amesas Bentis have also been regarded as angels, although they don't convey messages, but are rather emanations of Ahura Mazda, the wise lord or god. They initially appear in abstract fashion and then later become personalized, associated with diverse aspects of the divine creation. So that brings us to Cassiel, our friend from this episode. Cassiel is the Latin name of an angel in post-biblical Judeo-Christian mythology, particularly that of the Kabbalah. Unlike many other angels, Cassiel is known for simply watching the events of the cosmos unfold with little interference. He is the angel of solitude and tears, and is said to preside over the deaths of kings. He is often included in lists as being one of the seven archangels and often associated with the seventh heaven. Interestingly enough, Cassiel is often considered the angel of Thursday. And as you know, Supernatural airs on Thursdays, so that's kind of a nice little connection there. The devastation around Dean's grave is reminiscent of the Tunguska event, thought to be caused by a meteorite in Siberia in 1908. It has been widely referenced in literature and TV, including an episode of The X-Files. The phrase Cassiel says to Dean, we have work for you, echoes the phase, we've got work to do, spoken by Sam at the end of the pilot and Dean at the end of the season two finale. So I wanted to share a brief article with you. Um, We did mention it in Josh and my discussion. However, I do want to share the rest of it with you. We often talk about Eric Kripke's interviews on this podcast, so I would like to change it up a little bit and share part of a recent interview with Jensen Ackles from IGN.com. The link is in the show notes, but you can find it at au.tv.ign.com. IGN asks, do you tend to ask Eric a lot about what's to come, or do you prefer to just see what occurs script to script? Jensen says, in a way, I'm a fan of the show, so I don't like spoilers. 
So when I get the new script, I sit down and flip through it and go, right on, right on. I'll get ideas and write them down and stuff like that. Jared and I will usually talk about it, but for the most part, we don't want any kind of spoilers. Eric will call us at the beginning of every season and kind of gives us the broad strokes of the season, the general idea of what's going to happen and the tone of it. He never tells us how it's going to happen, and that's the fun to find out. IGN asks, Your show has a really nice sense of humor. I was mentioning to Jared the aliases you guys use, such as Agent Tyler and Agent Perry in the episode you're filming now. Is it nice to know everything doesn't have to be played 100% seriously? Jensen says, Absolutely. And that's one of the big reasons I was attracted to the show in the very beginning. It was because of the blend of drama, action, comedy. Just all of that kind of wrapped into one package. Really just kind of struck a chord in me. And definitely the comedic part, making a serious kind of hardened character funny, or at least have some sort of comedic value to it, is a lot more interesting than just having to play just one level. And I think that it's also a testament to the show, because in the same way, it hits a lot of different levels. It's not that monotone thing that you get in some shows, where it's all heavy dramatic show or light, funny comedy. You get the peaks and valleys and all of that. IGN asked, You mentioned what a technical nightmare some of the FX stuff can be. That being said, you do get to be a badass on the show. Do you look at Jared sometimes and go, this is pretty damn cool? And Jensen answered, oh yeah, gun-toting and saving the girl and killing the monster and being the hero? Absolutely. There's definitely that kind of heroic gratification I get just from acting the role. It's good. Obviously, it's not something I take home with me, but it's definitely something that makes me feel good about doing this kind of work. So the music on this episode, we had a few different songs. You Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC, a great song, plays during the opening montage. Fight Song by the Republic Tigers plays when Dean and Bobby go to find Sam. The Republic Tigers is kind of an up and coming band. They've been playing on other CW channel shows as well. Vision by Jason Manns, playing on Sam's iPod as Dean rips it out, and we've already talked about that one. And finally, Wrapped Around Your Finger, composed by Martin Late, plays when Sam and Dean are eating in the diner. The song of the night tonight is You Won't Be Able to Be Sad by The Break and Repair Method. Check out the website at thebreakandrepairmethod.com. The song is brought to you tonight by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Enjoy!
And that's it for this week. The all-new episode airs this Thursday on The CW. Thanks for listening, and take care. Thank you for listening to The Supernatural Podcast. You can visit my website at supernaturalpodcast.blogspot.com or send me an email at supernaturalpodcast at gmail.com. Please note that the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and not of the producers of Supernatural or The CW. Audio clips played on this podcast are property of The CW and no infringement is intended. Some of the music heard here is from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. <laughs>